Today's podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporter Tim Grable. If you'd like to learn how you can support the podcast through a small, recurring monthly donation, just log on to schooloflaughs.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Last Podcast. Rick Roberts here today. I'm interviewing Joel Byers of the Hot Breath Podcast. Joel is an Atlanta comedian who's been at it for seven years. He's got a side hustle going as a podcast host, and he interviews comics, much like I do, uh, social media folks, just like I do, and we kind of share a same uh, appreciation for just the continuing desire to learn stand-up comedy. And so uh, I pick his brain in this episode about his first seven years, what he's learned, what his struggles are, and where he's headed. And then next week, or the next time we release the episode, you'll hear him interviewing me, finding out maybe some things about me you didn't know before, because nobody asked until Joel did. How about that? So this week, I'm talking to Joel. Next week, Joel's talking to me. It might, might sound similar, because it's the same two people, but we're kind of switching the focus each time. This, uh, this episode's fun. I'm going to get right into it. I do want to remind you, though, if you haven't signed up for the Big Podcast podcast Boot Camp that's going on October 21st here in Nashville at Third Coast Comedy Club, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., you know me, I got a deal for you. So email me, schooloflast at gmail.com, and I'll hook you up with a coupon code. That'll knock a good chunk of money off of that fee for you. Uh, definitely shoot me an email and let me know that you want to attend that October 21st. That's all about podcasting, becoming a better podcast host interviewee, how to get a podcast up and running, or take your current podcast to the next level. Enough with that. Let's get on with this podcast with Joel Byers from Hot Breath. Let me kind of turn the tables on you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't, I, I'm not, I wasn't trying to hog this. I just... um. I no. want to dive in on you, man. No, it's great. And like you cover a lot of stuff that's uh, good, important. And if you have any other things on there, for sure, you want to jump into. I, I, we really hit everything. I've been trying to get better about an interviewing. Like when I used to interview people, like I always have show notes, but I used to just follow like a storyline of like, we're going to go here, 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 and then here. But I found that um, just weaving it and just making it organic, you usually will get to everything mm-hmm. just as it flows, you know, and instead of like trying to steer everything, just letting it flow. And then you find the talking points to insert. Absolutely. That's something that I kind of learned as I went to that. If, uh, if you've got a list of questions, that's great. It's almost like Bill Hicks would say about his act. You know, my act is what I go to when I can't think of anything else to say. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there are some things you kind of want to know, or you want to, you know, glean from the experience. But when you're Dead set on going to the next question, not really listen to the answer a lot of times. Yep. And I was missing out on stuff, and I would get emails after a podcast. How come you didn't follow up on that? Oh, those are the worst moments, too. I'm like, oh, I man, because I, I, was, I was an idiot, that's why. <laughs> or I didn't even hear, you know, the question behind the question that they emailed me with. I'm like, I didn't even think that far into it. Like, yeah. How'd they get to that spot? My biggest miss was um, when I interviewed Aries Spears. And this one still sticks with me. It's kind of like as soon as you get off stage and you remember the joke you wanted to say, you're like, oh, of course. But like as soon as the interview was over. But like I was asking him about like if he 
I can't remember how we got to this moment, but I was like, and I was like, do you have any uh, regrets? And he was like, yeah. And then I missed the follow up of like, what are they? Oh, wow. And then we, and then he like moved on. And I met, there was like this split second for me to jump in and I missed it. Yeah. And that's like episode 40, maybe. So like you learn as you do with anything, but that's one of those moments. I'm like, oh, I wish I had that back. Yeah. Cause that was just, that would have been cool. Cause he had, he's had so many different kind of headline things happen to him. So it'd be cool to hear his like sincere perspective on yeah. him, you know? Yeah. But oh well, we grow. So let me ask you, when did you start yeah. doing stand up? I started um, February 1st, 2010. 2010 so seven years eight years in yep yep but a little over seven and a half years now yeah and in atlanta i started in knoxville at side splitters okay in knoxville did you ever do that club no i a couple times i've thought about going over there <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I, I heard it was just like you know there was good times and bad times over there yeah this <laughs> but i also knew that the guy who you know was running, you know, not the manager, but the guy who owned the side splitters kind of thing. Oh, okay. And it could be kind of pretty hit and miss with getting paid. And so I just, at that time, I was kind of doing corporate gigs. And I didn't want to take a week as a gamble of something going down. Yeah, it was it was just an open mic. They had a side room, and it was just an open mic that they did probably like once a month or whatever, mm-hmm. like on a Sunday night. So I just went, took a couple of my friends, and this was second semester senior year where like your back's against the wall of like, am I going to follow this business degree or am I going to follow my dream, which is comedy? Uh-huh. It like, you know, it's in the back of my head and you're like, well, it's back's against the wall. Might as well just try comedy. You know, you're about to graduate. So you have nothing to lose. Right. And then I did it. And like you, like you said, you get the bug. I inst- instantly, instantly knew, like I didn't kill. There were like seven people and they all politely smiled, Yeah, you know, and that was enough. From then on, I was just like, this is everything to me. Do you remember any of your first jokes, like from that night? <laughs> I remember because I I was I read the book. Um, it was the green the green book. I think the Greg Greg Dean's book that has the green cover. And he and what I loved about that book was it was all about like one liners and how to write one liners and that misdirect because mm-hmm. that's the mechanism of a joke. You know, is that misdirect? So understanding how a joke works first. So I'm glad I started with one-liners and I've grown to be more conversational, but I started as a one-liner. So like I remember my first big misdirect was we had just gone to a, a um we just gone to an event in Knoxville like a week ago and I was like I was like com- I was like college is so weird. I had this bad dream where I was in um I can't I don't remember the exact wording but it was like I was in a disco and there were guys in underwear and flashing lights and then I woke up and I was at WWE. Oh yeah yeah. You know so like the misdirect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then like that like worked kind of so then the next month I'm like here's my big joke yeah. and then people are like what? <laughs> you know it works once so you think it's magic. But uh that was probably my first big misdirect. Uh-huh. And then like um like I'm tall, so like I I did all, went on some rant about like how much it sucks being tall and trying to dance with like short girls or whatever. I don't know. It was it's all <laughs> terrible, is what it's it was. Just, it's, I always call it. It's like your training wheels, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody I can't remember who said it, but they were always like, you know, your first your act is like an, a car. Uh-huh. It just needs to get you to the next place. <laughs> and so when you first start off, you're driving a Mazda Datsun or something from 1980 that's missing a couple of rims, and you're just you know you've got a, a 
a donut on the back left tire and you just you barely get in yeah yeah about three years in you trade up a little bit and get rid of that jokes those jokes or that set or that material and you, mm-hmm. you got stuff that fits you better as you go and hopefully at some point you're driving like a cadillac or something smooth totally and yeah. like you're in like a bentley now i'm well, 27 years in mopeds but yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in something that can hold two car seats in case my little girl wants to bring somebody along <laughs> when you uh so you started in knoxville how long were you there before you went to Atlanta? Or were you in Atlanta, but you just started in Knoxville? Yeah, I was going to school. I went to Maryville College, uh, Merville, Merville, a.k.a. Merville College. And um, this was second semester of senior year, so I was about to graduate. So I did I did all the open mics side splitters did. They even did like a Wednesday once a month where you would like pay maybe five or ten bucks, but you got like a drink ticket or mm-hmm. whatever. But I was just any stage time. I was just obsessed from the jump. So I did a couple shows senior year. But then as soon as I went back to Atlanta, like I moved back to Atlanta, moved back home because that's what college grads do. Mm -hmm. That's the natural progression. So as soon as I got back to Atlanta, I just started looking up uh, wherever open mics were. I got on Facebook and was like, where where can I get on stage? Where can Mm -hmm. I get on stage? And then from there, you know, I was working. I worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car for a little while. So I would work from like, you know, like 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then do shows that night and then get back up and do that whole grind and then was able to save up some money living at home doing that and then I kind of moved out on my own and then became like a dishwasher and then like waited tables and like delivered pizza and then became like a hotel mini bar attendant just all supplemental stuff Mm -hmm. to carry me along the way always doing comedy though always doing comedy at night just obsessed with it and it's been cool to you know I would if I wasn't performing on a show, um, I would at least be out watching a show. Uh-huh. If I if I couldn't get on, like if it was a weekend, I would be at one of the clubs at least watching. That's cool. You still enjoy watching shows? Yeah, you know, it then, changes, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part about uh, working like clubs is um, is uh, like working with headliners is seeing what they keep and like what's part of the act. Cause some, some headliners have the same act mm-hmm. for like 10 years and they just do it word for word. And then other, they'll, their shows will be completely different throughout. So like I work, are you familiar with TK Kirkland? Mm-mm. He's, he's super big in the urban scene. Um, and I, that's where I've kind of gotten most of my opportunity is in the urban scene just because that's where I got on stage. Cause what I like about doing urban rooms is it's based on respect. It's not like politics of like, he's he's funny, but he doesn't have a flannel shirt on, so we don't like him here. Right, right, His right. beard isn't big enough or whatever. Like in an urban scene... Can they ever be big enough? Yeah. <laughs> Can we stop with the beards? Let's ask that. That's two clean-shaven guys talking. Yeah. Enough with the hipster beard, but go ahead. But it's like, you know, I mean, some... That's just what I've noticed in the scenes. And, um, you know, now I, I perform anywhere, anytime in uh, front of anyone. But like most of my opportunities came in the urban rooms. But like T.K. Kirkland has this catchphrase that's who raised you? And he's like, who raised you? So for like seven shows, just who raised you? And then there's who raised you? So that's just burned into my brain now. But he's a cool dude. We've done a lot of shows since then, but it's just I'm always I'm always trying to learn, Mm -hmm. you know, just like I'm sure just like you still. I love you've been doing comedy 27 years and you still have a hunger for it. Yeah, there's always something you can pick up. So I'm always looking to learn. That's cool. Mm-hmm. What would you just say is your like ideal audience? Like, if you could say, "This is the group I want to perform for six nights a week," who would be in the audience? Where would it be? Well, what my, age group? All that stuff. Hmm. I mean, 
I want to say everyone, but that's so vague. You know what though? I mean, at at Uptown, uh, a sold out Uptown room in Atlanta. Well, Uptown is like a historic urban club. It's probably the oldest urban club in the city. And then we also have Punchline, which is like one of the oldest like comedy clubs. But um, if you get four hundred people at Uptown rocking, that's that's like riding a wave. And that's you know that's primarily black people age. I don't know, maybe like 25 to even like 55, 65. Mm-hmm. But in in like a more general sense, my goal from the beginning was to be universal. Yeah. Like I want to be able to do the same jokes I do at Uptown that I do at Punchline, that I do at a college, that I do at a church, that I do at a bar on a Tuesday. You uh-huh. know, I've always, from the beginning, my goal was to be as universal as possible so I could just entertain everyone. So there's not really an audience where... I'm like more um, like, oh, I don't know about this compared to, yeah, yeah. It's I try to approach everyone with the same enthusiasm. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, 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 will, I would be lying if I didn't say I'm almost more comfortable in front of an urban crowd now just because they, um, they're, I guess they can be known for booing more or whatever. They're just more real and mm-hmm. honest. Like they don't put up with anything false. So you yeah. just got to be real. And I, what I've, what I've told comedians and like my students too, is like mainstream rooms are good for writing and urban rooms are good for like developing performance and persona. So like, and that can, that can help build both sides of the comedy kind of like your weapons. Yeah. And that's good. I haven't thought about it in that terms before, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta be on your game. Yeah. And then if you're on your game to listen to your jokes, whereas the mainstream room jokes are important and you don't have to have the most extreme personality to, to pull them off. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't thought about that, but it's true. Who fill in this blank? Okay. <laughs> and I'll fill in mine if you, if you feel it's an unfair question. <laughs> I have the most difficulty following a comic who is, or their style is like um, a magician, <laughs> or a music act. A music act with a killer closer. You're not going to top that, you know, yeah. like you, if they're if they're doing bells and whistles and all this and you come up with uh, a couple of punchlines, they're gonna be like, but where's your where's your symbols and all that? Yeah, you know, those are tough to follow. Magicians, too, are tough to follow. Uh, so, yeah, that's yeah, that those would be my two instinctual answers. What about yours? Uh, Joe Byers. Hardest <laughs> to follow Joe Byers. That's my answer. <laughs> Because I just never know what I'm... I know it's going to be good no matter what venue we're in. It's going to be tough. So I can't even take him to my best audience. He's going to... Uh, I, I would say probably, you know, those two are always hard for most people. Um, isn't it weird, too, that in the Southeast... I don't know how much you travel around the country, but the Southeast is known for having comics who have musical closers. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think it became part of this... Part of the reason, I think, is like rooms like the Stardome where it's so big. Oh, it's a great room. you need a big finale almost. You're on a theater-type stage. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, they have the abilities technology-wise to run whatever tracks you need and make it look good and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I typically – it's weird. I almost work, I'd say, 95% of the time just by myself. So – I welcome any comic, even if they just destroyed in front of me. I'd be like, ah, oh, a brethren, <laughs> so, yeah. somebody to talk to after the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's always when you meet a comedian. You're like, I need to see you perform before I know if yeah. I like you or not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> not like, but it's like, I feel like you never meet a comedian until you see them perform. That's always how I approach yeah. it. It's like, yeah, I, we can talk in the green room, but I don't really know you till I see you on stage. Yeah. I feel like that's when you. Yeah. Uh, 
I was saying, probably with me, it would be regardless of what type of comedy they did or their style, the uh, if they were really heavy on misdirection, short misdirection jokes. Because mm. that's, that's at least my first 15 minutes is a lot of that. Uh-huh. And the only times I've had tricky troubles with following somebody is when they kind of had that style throughout. Mm. And then I step right in with that kind of style. They're like, we just saw 30 minutes of this or whatever. Right, you Yeah. Know? Cause that's a lot of that's asking a lot of them to just keep popping them all those laughs per minute, you know. Yeah, and plus they just they know that they're going to be, you know, you, you should have some stories, you should have some short ones, you should have some in between jokes, should whatever you can to kind of keep them off balance. But when they see that thirty minutes in a row, it's just like it's going to be harder to surprise them because they're going, okay, we're, uh, here comes the punchline. Right. Whereas you see a lot of guys now, or more people now, where it's so conversational, it's almost like a. a I almost wish I would have started this way because when it's really conversational, there is no pause where the punchline is. So if the audience doesn't get the punchline, you're just saying the next sentence. Yep. Do you know they, what I mean? Yeah. They they don't know you missed. They don't know. So you yeah. slow down when they do laugh and you pick it up. I know a couple of comics that are extremely successful and that's their style. And I do pretty well after that because it's a different thing, mm-hmm. you know, but they're, ext- they're, they're bigger names and funnier people because they've got that thing. So it's a weird, you know, weird thing back it's tough to overcome that silence though you know like that's and i'm i'm only i'm only seven and a half years in so that's i mean that is some time but in the scheme of i'm doing this the rest of my life it's still like training wheels you mm-hmm. know so i'm just now in moments of where you're like you're in silence and you're like oh this is different yeah. where you where you like you force yourself to sit in it and then you get it like I'm still, I'll still rush. Like I'll still be like, but I want to get to the next joke instead of just like letting stuff breathe and it come in like a tide, you know. But I can, I, I'm, I'm trying to focus more on just the power of silence and how you can use it. But it is, it is scary when you lean into that yeah. void, you know. But luckily, there's a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily, that, luckily, I just made it sound like I'm never funny. I'm really good at silence right now, guys. Yeah, I've trained my audience not to laugh. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a whole other level of comedy. Uh, a lot of people don't get it. It's kind of Andy Kaufmanish, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. What's been like a uh, What's been like a moment on stage where you surprised yourself in some way, like that you either was able to bail yourself out of a situation or you you went on a tangent just trusting that it could lead somewhere and it did or maybe you walked in a situation that you thought this this is going to be tougher than I've ever had and you were able to handle it. Has there been some cool mm. moments like that, I'm sure? Oh, man. I had one of my favorite moments on stage <laughs> recently, very recently. I was featuring at Uptown for a Toure, comedian Toure, who's based out of Philadelphia, but he like he brought up like Kevin Hart and like he saw all these dudes come up. But... um. It was Sunday show. What I love, you know, what's so funny is you can have a killer weekend, but that Sunday show will creep on you. That Sunday show may be the killer one where the the crowd comes back on you. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I'm just going to coast on this final show. I've been having good all weekend. And that's the one you bomb at. So like I started out really hot on the set and I was feeling good from like the weekend. And like I was doing like a lot of this topical racial stuff and just trying to experiment with like walking the line really. And like how to go too far and when not and kind of do that balancing act. So I did, I was feeling good in the set. And I said something about like, there's definitely, you know, a balance in comedy. And I said, I said something where I completely lost the audience. Like they just completely shut down. And I was start, it was one of those moments though, where you're doing well and then you start to feel it, you're losing your grip. Yeah, and it yeah. starts to fade, and then it's, okay, it's silent, and now I'm talking, and it's silent. 
and I was only about halfway through my feature set. So I stopped and I like, I leaned, I leaned like onto the front table and I was like, okay guys, where did I lose you? Cause we got about 15 minutes left <laughs> and this could go either way right now. And I was just, I was just real in that moment and they appreciated that. Uh-huh. And, um, and then from then on, I like, I, and I said something like, okay, so what we're going to do is try this again and uh, let's have a good second half. Okay, team. And I like, when I was like, ready, break. And then I stood back up and went back into my set and I got him back. Oh, that's cool. That was the first moment on stage. I, I was fully immersed in the moment since there was a disconnect and then addressed it and like, okay, where did I lose you? Okay. I understand that. I went too far here. Let's regroup, come back together, and finish strong. And then I got back up, and they were just with me from that jump. And that was the first moment where I like was able to just kind of rope a dope them, you know. That's cool. So that man. felt good. No, that's good. To, to, that's like that is kind of thing that happens when you're about six, seven, eight years in. Is you've got you know you can go back to your jokes, but you also as you're telling your jokes your brain can do other things. Yeah, you know, like the first mm-hmm. five or six years, you're just like, I got it. What's the next thing I'm going to say? What? But once you know the next thing you're going to say mm-hmm. or shouldn't say, <laughs> whatever, yeah. you can think in other terms. And it's like, it's almost like I think in my first three years of comedy, I never took the microphone out of the stand. I just stood right in front of it. Three years in, I'm like, I've got arms. Yeah. I can use <laughs> yeah. my arms, you know? Yeah. So it's like, that's cool, man. So you're moving right on pace, finding the moments and having fun in there. Oh, that's great, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. And and really from here on out, it's all easy. So you'll, oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. The it's just a cakewalk. Years, at least. The challenge is what drives me though. I love, it's just so hard and I just, it's so inspiring though, just to, you have those moments and like, I'm glad you asked about like a moment because that's what really drives us is you'll have that one set where every breath works and you're like, oh, I can do this. And then you have six months of nothing. And then you look for that one moment again. And the closer those get, I feel like that's when you see your progress. I did that again instead of six months, it was four months, you know, so I just always try to be aware of those moments, chasing waterfalls, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> TLC. Yeah. yeah. TLC. I didn't know if you knew that. No, I'm still thinking I should have thrown in a, a one ray or a three ray joke when you're talking about two ray. Oh. <laughs> I know it's brother blue ray and who ray. It's just like, blue ray. I'm, like I'm not going to say, well, I'm going to say it. I went ahead and did it. <laughs> what are, um, what are, some, what are, always, I should ask this every episode. I don't think I always do, but what, what is mm-hmm. like a, a struggle that is, it's right now, and you're like, man, if I could just figure out this piece of the puzzle, I can get to the next part, and just, things would be a little bit easier. But it's like a hurdle or a bump. It just seems like you would have gotten past it by now or something, or it just keeps popping up. You got one of those? Dude, organization is killing me right now. Like, I I just – I can't i don't keep track of everything i like i'll do an awesome writing session or whatever on like a piece of printer paper Mm -hmm. or like i'll be writing and like i'll be driving and keep notes or like i have a great idea that i put in my phone and never look at or i'll like i've tried where i'll have like three notebooks i was like okay i'm gonna do all my broad writing in this notebook boil it down to the best ideas in this notebook and then take it to the stage and edit it in this notebook. And like, I've tried all these different systems and I just, that is a big barrier right now as I'm trying to up my productivity and efficiency is just organization. Mm -hmm. So, well, maybe, you know, you just have one day of the week where you go back and you pull stuff from your phone, from your, you know, and you just, you archive it, you get it in Evernote or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, and you're revisiting ideas you had and getting them into one spot yeah, Evernote's great because it syncs to all your devices and all that stuff. Okay, yeah, I've heard of Evernote. I'm ne- I don't have it though. It's really cool, and you can um, 
I think you can get on two devices for free, and then the third one, it's like nine bucks a month. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. but it, as soon as you write it in your computer, it shows up on your phone. It's kind of cloud based or whatever they say. Okay, but you can tag each joke, so you've got. 20 different jokes about dating or being married now or what have you. You just put that as one of the tags, just like you do in a document, you know. And so you say we're going to do a set where you wanted to only work on that particular topic. You can just search by tag and all those jokes come out of all your different folders into one little place. Oh, yeah. Okay. You you would benefit from that. That's interesting. Totally. Yeah. And and just set aside, maybe it's once a month, I don't know, but you just go say this whole day or this four hours, I'm going to go in and make sure I get everything off my phone. I'm a little voice memos. Mm-hmm. Get them in print and then upload them to Evernote so that they're not lost. Yeah. And then once they're in Evernote, you can categorize and start to see maybe some connections between material that never you would have never put together before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would I would suggest this too, just while I'm thinking about it, because as 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 you're plugging stuff into Evernote, if you choose this path, maybe you just choose to put them all in one notebook. But whatever it is, look at each joke and ask yourself, what is this joke really about? So it might be a, a joke about being married or whatever, but in the joke is failure to communicate. There's hmm. a communication problem. You might have a joke about a previous boss where that joke is really about not communicating correctly. And you can put those two jokes back to back. They wouldn't. You would never think about your wife and your boss. Well, maybe you do. I don't know how your wife runs your life, but <laughs> your wife and your boss in the same sentence. But there, there might... the. The emotion or the state of mind that puts you in both of those places to make those stories relevant to you for your stand-up can connect. And you can build a bit out of three things that you normally wouldn't think about. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Same, yeah. Same thing you could – I always tell my students, every joke you write, in the margin, put what emotion you should deliver that joke with. Because you, you won't, we only write stuff that, about stuff that drives us crazy, that makes us mad, makes us sad, makes us nostalgic, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But we could – if you know that, A, you should, should deliver the joke with some kind of style and some mm-hmm. kind of emotion behind it. So that, that will up your performance part. But you could tag around three or four jokes together that are all anger-based and put them in the same bit so you're not angry in minute one, minute 27, and minute 56. You huh. look bipolar when you're, you know. But if right. you can stay in the anger for a while. And another thing that makes me mad, boom, boom, boom. You know, you can hit three or four different topics, but the through line is anger. Or Whoa. the through line is lack of communication or whatever it might be, a lack of trust, whatever it could be, that drives the joke or where it came from. Like a painting. Like each each emotion is a color. Sure, you're you can doing think of it that way. Interesting. You could even, if you wanted to go crazy and get nine highlighters of different colors, just like, you know, and you could visually look at it like a, always, always, this is what I want to do with my, my organization that we're talking about. <laughs> I watched Monday Night Football or Sunday Football or whatever. And the coaches have all their plays on their laminated sheet, and you can see they've got like yellow plays for when it's third and short. Like I want to put all my jokes into one big laminated sheet and put them up. <laughs> and when I do my one-hour special, I'm like, that didn't work. Okay, I've, yeah. got, I've got 30 <laughs> seconds here to get you. It's a 30-second joke. You have like the wristband yeah, like yeah, the quarterbacks yeah, will yeah, wear. Yeah, audible right yeah. here. All right. We need three guys deep on this one. But just, uh, yeah, as you organize your material, finding connections besides just just the topic, but the emotion or the state of mind or what puts you in that place to write about. Whoa. Yeah, I love that because I've found that those are my best jokes or where they're, I'm making connections that aren't on the surface there. Mm-hmm. So that's a great way to find that. Oh, dude, that's awesome. I'm and, definitely going to do that. And you can choose whether to even let the audience in on that or not. I mean, you you could audibly say, you know, man, this makes me mad. This makes me mad. Or you could just do it, mm-hmm. just so that you mentally know what three jokes go together, and they'll figure it out. Yeah, you know, 
but that, that that would be one thing as far as getting organized. Um, and as great as Evernote is and, and digital stuff is, it's probably good to write them all down on an index card too. Okay. Because if you can't get to the punchline on the front of an index card, it's too long anyway. Yeah. You know, but I've got, I don't know if I have them around here. I've got these little index card things and they've got like a little binder, like your key binder. Yeah. And you can just flip through it. And so as I'm working on this new CD, I have an orange version of that. Everything, orange is my like productivity color, right? So if it works, if it's producing for me, it goes in the orange index file. Whoa. If it's green, it's new, it's green. So uh-huh. I, work, I take that one to open mics and try to get those jokes into the orange. Whoa. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, but those things fit in your back pocket, fit on your keychain. They're always with you. So if you got an idea for a joke, you can write down a little bit and then follow it up later. Yeah. I saw Jeff Foxworthy would, cause he, he lives pretty much by Atlanta and he would come to the punchline sometimes on a Sunday and sell it out, just working on new material. Yeah. But he had, he had three bins on stage. Have you seen him do this? Yeah. He had three, he had three bins on stage and like a pile of note cards and he would pull note cards and he would do the joke and if it kills, he'd put it in A. If it was okay, he'd put it in B. And if it died, he'd put it in C. He would just go for an hour, hour and a half just doing these jokes and then just putting them that's in the cool. proper bin. And that's how he would just pretty much write on stage. And most killed, but I guess he's listening for certain reactions. Right. So it may be mediocre or like it, one may die that didn't really die or whatever. Yeah. You know, He rarely had one that was a C, probably like one or two out of his entire set. Wow. But it was interesting to watch. Yeah, I always like watching he- headliners back when I was coming up. They would do this thing where a lot of them during the check drop would just hmm. tell the audience, all right, you're not going to be paying attention for five minutes, so I'm going to try out five minutes of new jokes. Hmm. And they'd literally get an index card, and if it if it worked, they would, I'm keeping that one, put it in their back pocket. If it didn't, they would crumble it up and throw it on stage. Right. But it took me years to realize it was the same five minutes of jokes for the past five years. It was just something <laughs> they did as a game. Because I'd see him like five years later, right. like oh, this is a new thing. Let's try this out. Yeah. But they always had a couple that didn't work on purpose, so they could like get the laugh of it throwing it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just gamified it, you know. Yeah. And it's pretty funny, man. <laughs> uh, let me. How much do you travel? Where like where are your gigs at? How often are you doing stuff? Like seven years in, and you know, just trying to get a gauge of of where you're at comedy wise. Yeah, all my opportunities, especially out of town, have come from connections. Like I don't. I mean, I don't have a manager, an agent, like all the colleges I do are from one of my friends who's in the college circuit who was like, hey, you want to come open for me here? Mm-hmm. Make a couple hundred bucks. You know, I mean, that's that's a great gig, you know. So uh, all the work I've done has been just from friends pretty much. And um, my travel, it's weird. And that's what I'm finding. It almost comes in waves. One month I may be booked every week and then another month. I maybe book like a Thursday or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, a lot of the stuff, like you said, with your students, I'll have students who are like my friends in a biker gang and they are having this reunion and they need a comedian. Do you want to do it? You're like, uh, is it safe? Okay. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm performing at an apartment complex next week for one of my students. Um, all local stuff. Um, I mean, I have traveled the farthest I've traveled was, um, Japan, I did um, Japan. I think it was earlier this year with a couple friends. Just they were just they they had like a military show, and uh-huh. they're like, "Hey, you want to go to Japan and get paid for doing it?" That's I was awesome. Like, yeah, it was awesome. You I, were the tallest guy in the country for yeah. a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. We literally like flew in, uh, did the show like two hours later, and then left the next morning. It was really just a turnaround. Yeah. We didn't even get to see 
the Tokyo or anything besides the drive to the base, but it was still cool. And you feel like a comedian and you're like, yeah, I'm yeah, traveling yeah. around the world doing comedy. But, um, it's, uh, it's, it's inconsistent right now. There's not, I don't have like guaranteed dates. I have sporadic dates mm -hmm. throughout this for like the rest of the year, you know, but it's, it's nothing's like blocked off. We're like, yeah, I've got all of November locked in. Right. I want, I would love that, but it's, it hasn't come in, come in organized yet. Yeah. Do you put on any of your own shows or have you? Yeah, I do host a, a, sh a weekly show every Wednesday. I host a show at Java Monkey Indicator, Georgia. I've been doing that uh, a little over six years now. So I've been hosting that one consistently. That's great. So that's great stage time. You know, it started out as every other week and now it's become every week. So that's always good. And I'm I'm doing open mics. You know, I'm I still hit that. Um I found since I have gotten since I've gotten married, you look for the balance more mm -hmm. of like Okay, if I'm booked this weekend, I'll lay off of the open mics as much because I'll still do my Wednesday, but I'll maybe skip a Tuesday where you can do four or five shows. Right. Um, if I'm booked on the weekend, but if my weekend's open, I'll hit the week card and then balance it out on the weekend with my wife. So you look for those moments yeah. as far as time management, but I'm still as thirsty for the stage as like day one. Right. Yeah. That's cool, man. What I'm curious what led you to start the podcast. I mean talked about a little bit a while back as far as like just meeting other comics and things and, mm -hmm. and atlanta had the hot scene but the um just to get in there and start bounding banging it out every single week did you I, let me ask you this but i'm trying to say is it did you know how much work it was going to be no <laughs> no and nobody does and i just did a podcast panel with two other podcasters and we calculated it's like like 15 hours like an episode like b from from like the idea to researching to even it just take accumulate like you know taking up brain bandwidth even just thinking about it all the way to the editing and all that it's like 15 hours an episode but you, I had no idea how much work it was going to be I was just inspired because the goal was we had 10 comics on Last Comic Standing and then the previous year the comic that won was from Last Comic Standing That's right. uh, Rodman mm -hmm. and then that year Clayton English from Atlanta won. But I was like, my goal is to interview these 11 people. That was like my goal. And I was like, and if I can do that, we'll just see what happens after that. And I achieved that goal. So, I mean, it was not easy. Some had to go through management. Mm -hmm. Some were like phone interviews and then like the recorder dies. And then. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the worst. Oh, my gosh. My three best interviews nobody will ever hear. Oh. The three best. <laughs> oh. I mean, I'll tell you later, but it's like, oh. It happens though. Yeah. It it happens. But as soon as I achieved that eleven, I was like, interesting. I may be onto something here if I could climb that mountain. So I just I pretty much did those eleven and then took a couple month break of like, I'll do a season two soon or mm -hmm. whatever. But since I since I hit season two or whatever, I've just been doing it weekly ever since. But it's it's now at this point, I'm I'm using it as as much as my listeners like to learn. I like to learn mm -hmm. how, what is, how often are you going to be working with a headliner? And then you're like, Hey, do you want to sit down for an hour? And me just ask you how you were on Letterman 12 times. Oh, you got on Conan. That's one of my goals. Sit down and um, just tell me every step of the yeah. way. And do you know the booker for Conan? And will you show them my tape? And <laughs> right, like, right. like you never, without a microphone, you're like, this guy's kind of pushy, but with a microphone, they're like, Oh, this guy cares. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting, the microphone kind of, <laughs> 
It makes it more like official. You're like, yeah, you know, without the microphone, it's like, okay, we've been at Starbucks for an hour, <laughs> twenty five minutes now. This exactly. Is yeah, I just use it to learn. I love it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Is there any any things you wish you would have put into the podcast as far as like a segment or something that you didn't do that you wish you would have? Because I definitely have some thoughts on that. Like specific segments. Uh-huh. Um. No, nothing as of right now. You know, uh, sponsors would be cool, <laughs> or like money. Mm-hmm. You know, getting paid. I have used the podcast to leverage certain services or certain uh, events or things like that. But I haven't. I've uh, like there's been like a festival that'll come through Atlanta, and they'll they'll pay me for like whatever weeks leading up to it. But I don't. I haven't been able to like reach out with a mm-hmm. press kit and be like, Hey, if you're interested, you know, I haven't made that connection yet. So that's something just when you just break down the time you're putting into it, some sort of return, like you, you have a Patreon mm-hmm. and I just started a Patreon just for the sake of, I like how you're like, it's kind of like a tip jar, you yeah. know, if you, and you get extra original content, you can't get anywhere else and all that. So I just started that is trying to create more of a community around hot breath the hot breath of verse yes. as i call it you know which so. which was on my list of questions oh was it hot breath because hot lana and you pulled that together or what made you think of hot breath oh man i was a fan of fresh air <laughs> and i was just like what's a quick one hitter <laughs> so it became hot breath and it, oh, oh, you know, it all just naturally evolved yeah That's pretty funny <laughs> i thought it was always hot lana hot breath because you're talking about atlanta comics that is it was fresh air the whole time. Oh, it was just fresh air the whole time. I'm Terry Gross. Ripped it. Yeah. I'm going to make you cry about something you didn't expect. And my early interviews were like, so tell me about that open mic. Yeah. yeah what was that boo story you <laughs> heard about? You know, and the boo story has become a benchmark of the episodes of, even if it's, even if it's not a comedian anymore, just an epic failure mm-hmm. because I like highlighting the success, but you're nowhere without your failure. Yeah. So failure is the best teacher. So I like to always highlight those in the interviews as well. Something all comedians do is bomb along the way. And I ask all my comedians on here, an epic failure on stage, uh, a booze story if possible. And in 27 years, there's gotta be at least one gig out there. That oh, was yeah. just epic failure. There's only one gig that wasn't uh, <laughs> 27 years. Yeah. It's, it's tomorrow's gig. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll see. We'll find out. I just do the Barney fight. I think the one that was on the biggest scale, okay, was a New Year's Eve show I was doing with the Improv Group. We were in Kellogg Arena in Battle Creek, four thousand tickets. <sighs> they had us. It's an arena, so they got the floor, they got the lower level. Off of the upper level, they they put a stage on scaffolding, so that everybody on the other side of the arena could see us, and the people that were having dinner seated on the floor could see us. <laughs> They could see us. They couldn't hear us very good. Mm-hmm. We were using the, the big Bertha sound speakers in the middle of Kellogg Arena with a microphone that was feeding back like every 10 seconds. And we're improv, so we're not right on the mics like a comic would be. We're three feet, five feet away. And so we, we got through our first two sketches, you know, with a little reaction. The third uh, scene that we did was Mr. Know-It-All where three people sit down, they they answer a question one word at a time. Hmm. So like there'd be a host, he would get a question from the audience. You know, what's the meaning of life? Mr. Know-it-all, what's the meaning of life? I think that life is all about, you know. Gotcha. And you try to answer it. If you answered it even close to, 
you know, something that sounded right, they would clap and laugh or whatever. This is all with one microphone? Yeah. So he, okay. he would kind of give us, so <laughs> well, I guess we had probably had a mic on a stand. So we would give our answer. And then like the second question goes, all right, who else has a question for Mr. Know-it-all? And like from, I don't know, as far as you could be in an arena in a corner where it echoed across the entire place, the guy goes, when does, does the comedy star start? <laughs> and the whole place goes, yeah, when does it start? <laughs> you know? And it was just like the <sighs> Gary Fields, who runs a great, ran a great club, a couple of different clubs up in Battle Creek for many years. He he just came on stage. He goes, guys, it's totally my fault. I should have had you in a different place, mic'd up better. You're done for the night. You still get paid. Go party. It's New Year's. Let's have a good time. And then he told everybody in the arena. He goes, hey, anybody that's here tonight, bring in your ticket to my club this weekend. You can get, see the guys in a real comedy club environment, and it's on us. Oh, okay. So, you know, was, we made out okay with it, but it was just like really in front of 4,000 people we just <laughs> yelled at. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably the worst as a group. There's there's a few just individually where I was doing stand-up to where it always comes down to where I didn't I, – I wasn't aware of the situation. Gotcha. Like there was a guy – I was doing a one-nighter somewhere in Wisconsin or – yeah, probably Wisconsin. And everybody was digging the show throughout the show. The first two acts, I get on stage. But there's one guy at the bar that was just talking loud the whole time on his phone. Wasn't even looking at the, the comedy show. And so I'd had it, you know, like the first two comics didn't say anything. The crowd was noticeably disturbed. Like that side of the room couldn't enjoy the show. They kept turning their. And so I got on. I'm like, listen, all right, here's the deal. You guys have been real patient. You've been laughing, but uh, I'm not going to keep on going unless this guy over here gets off the phone. What do you guys think? And they're like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the guy turned around and goes, I've got your paycheck. <laughs> he was the owner of the bar. <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to just plow through it, guys. <laughs> and so. Uh, That's how you start the headlining set. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Because I'm a freak? nice guy, but if I see like some, something not being solved, it gets under my skin. Uh-huh. So I just went right after the guy, right off the top. And like, it took me a little while to get the crowd back because they were like, should we, should we laugh or should we let him talk quietly? You know, just a weird deal. Oh, but you got the crowd. You got Yeah, the crowd okay. was good. Well, Rick Roberts, how are you not well, going to get yeah, the crowd? Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> Reel them in. I had an easy feature that week, you know. Nobody, <laughs> it wasn't like making me work as hard as most of them did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's cool, man. Well, let me ask you this as we wrap up. Um, your podcast, Hot Breath, you're about, you're over a hundred episodes, aren't you? Yeah, we just passed a hundred. I'm on like 104 now. All right. So I want my listeners to go listen to it, but if there was maybe, let's say two or three that you'd wanted to start off with, like, oh man, this is really worth your time. There's, Ooh. there's some good info in this, the, the comic or whoever was really bringing it maybe, or just one or two episodes that they should start with and then they can kind of get into it. Yeah. I, the first one that comes to mind is. It's it's an episode in the '90s. Um, it's uh, with uh, her name is Manu, and she is her company is called At Your Social Team. She's a social media guru. Like she straight up, like I'm very um, aware of people's time on my interviews. So I'm like, so I'll be like, all right, as we're wrapping it up. But she kept saying, well, let me tell this one more tip. We end up going like an hour and a half because she just kept saying more tips. But this lady built up. Um, King of Pops. Do you guys have King of Pops here? I don't know. It's like a handmade popsicle company that started in Atlanta that's now all over the country, but she built their social media and she used what she learned there to now do it with small businesses. And she just pretty much gave me like a workshop on like social media and these different tips and different hacks you can use for like Instagram and Facebook and all that. Like broke it down in a very like digestible way okay. of like, Oh, I can apply this and I can plug this in. You know, it was, 
that that has completely changed my social media approach my whole online identity it like changed just instantly awesome um so i would definitely say that one um which i think it's it's one of it's i think it's in the 90s um let me think um I mean, Aries Spears was a good one because he he's one of the best impressionists on the planet. And I got him to break down like how like the music of his oh, impressions cool. and cool. how he does impressions. And I'm just sitting here in his hotel lobby, like across from Aries Spears as he's like going through his like shack impression and telling me how he does it. Like that was a cool moment to to be involved with. And that was Cause like there's, I'll be like, okay, he's good at act outs. Let me really dive into how he's good at act outs. Uh Okay. They're really good at writing. Like Tom Simmons. Are you familiar with Tom Simmons? He's, he's one of my favorite comics. Like he can just find humor out of like the federal reserve and like they, they own the money, but he can make it funny. Like you're saying people have an opinion, but it's gotta be funny. He's able to have these opinions and also be funny. And he broke down great writing tips as far as like, hey, I may write 20 and only keep one of them. Like um, great writing tips on, you know, you go to the analogy aisle and uh-huh. pull out some analogies for this joke and you go over to this aisle and apply like a callback to it or whatever. So he his was really good for writing specifically. Um, probably for stories, Dan Pasternak. Are you familiar with Dan yeah, yeah. Pasternak? Yeah. He, I mean, even, th- I didn't realize, I interviewed him while he was in town for the Laughing Skull Festival I didn't realize he he was like best friends with like Jonathan Winters. Yeah. And yeah. like he was showing me uh pictures in his like living room of the art Jonathan Winters gave him. He had all these great stories of just legends that he's been able to interview and what he's learned. Um so he was another good one. I tell you my favorite is uh, Nick Griffin. Yes. Nick uh, was very yes. <laughs> you know, he's so funny, but in the he was like very self-deprecating and like that's Nick, yeah. But I've worked with him several times back in the day at the Cleveland Improv, yeah. Specifically, I think we worked maybe two or three times together up there. <laughs> and he was just every show he would just come out and go, I don't know, man. Yeah, I just don't know. I'm like you just crush. He goes, I don't know, man. Next week you see him on Letterman or something, and yeah, you know, next time I work with him, man, I saw you Letterman. Yeah, I don't know, man. I probably mm-hmm. won't get invited back. Yeah, <laughs> then he would just crush it, you know. So good. So. Good and dark, you know. He was going yeah. through a divorce, I think, at the time. Oh wow, if I yeah, remember right. And but he was funny. But he, he had a great interview. Uh, he was he on Letterman like twelve times. Yeah, he was pretty consistent he, and prolific on there. Yeah, and he had that that story like David Tell. He was like somebody was staying with Nick Griffin, and David Tell was like, "Hey, be sure to open the window to let the sad out, yeah. or whatever." <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you said name two interviews, and I just listed like five. That's all right. I'm, I'm going to put those in the show notes so people can kind of click through. <laughs> Uh, but it's just like your like your episodes. I try to make sure my listeners leave with some nugget of knowledge, mm-hmm. at least one. So like that's what your podcast inspired me to do is really take it as a learning experience. Each interview, it's cool, man. Well, yeah, Joe, it's been a lot of fun, dude. Uh, we talked awesome. for a while. This might just be a two parter. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, two weeks in a row. That's what I was thinking. Like I'll just do one half one week and then the other half the next. I'm gonna call you Mr. October because I was. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be the 15th. Oh yeah, because you do it every other first. First and 15th. So we'll just do it that way. That'll be uh, two nice episodes there. And uh, if you guys uh, listen to this one first, you don't have to listen to the other one. I'm just talking about myself. But make sure you you told an untold story on there. Told a few. Oh yeah. So my goal this year is to tell a few more. Uh, I don't know how how deep I want to get into it, but I know there's comics that go through some down times, you know, and I try to be an upbeat guy, but there was times where I was like, 
you know, very detrimental to myself. I'm sure. So there, there may be a few episodes where we're like, all right, grab a, a Kleenex box and let's get into it. <laughs> we'll see. Cool, man. I'm Dude, so happy you came through. I'm so, thanks for having me, Rick. This has been a long time coming, man. I'm a super big fan. When he was three, I'd already gone full-time into comedy. <laughs> Man, I'm getting ancient. Oh, that hurts in so many ways. Oh, can't even tell you. But I'm glad that he's uh, going at it the right way, I think. Learning as much as you can, getting on stage as much as you can, getting as funny as you can, and also uh, learning that the business side of things are really important as well. So I'm glad to see he's focused on that. Uh, if you're interested in the business of comedy, just by chance, I do have the October 28th business of comedy class from 1 to 4 p.m. That's a Saturday. It's just $97. You're going to walk out of there with a almost 50-page workbook of things you can do to take your hobby forward into a full-time career. So if you're really serious about comedy, that's the day, October 28th from 1 to 4 p.m. in the Hermitage just outside of Nashville. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again to our sponsors. And tune in in a couple of weeks where you'll hear Joel interview me. Take care, guys. Stay safe and stay funny. listening to the school of laughs podcast if you'd like to hear more school of laughs podcast you can find them on itunes and stitcher.com and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for information on upcoming live and online classes visit schooloflaughs.com. until next time stay tuned stay focused and stay money